And in today's video, I am joined by Dr. E. Michael Jones of Culture Wars magazine. Dr. Jones, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Dr. Jones, I, I've been meaning to script a proper video about the subject that we want to talk about today, which is LGBTQ plus whatever indoctrination in schools. Um, I personally, when I sat down to get through all the resources and all the links and everything, you know, in my, in my research and, and start to script it into a video, I just found it unbelievably difficult and depressing. And I, and I just think there's some subjects that you can't wade into without feeling like complete crap, quite honest. It's just, right. it's, it's a really dark subject. And that's actually the reason it has to be talked about. Um, and I thought there's no better person than to go through what the agenda is ultimately all about. Um, before I get into that, I want to highlight to people a fantastic Twitter account that I found. You might be familiar with this, which is uh, questioning LGBT forward slash CSC education. The handle is at question LGBT edu on Twitter. And they've gone, they just basically go through like country by country, all different examples of this forced LGBT agenda on kids. And some of the stuff is just unbelievably deranged, and I, I will cite some examples. But before we get into it, um, I have to say, like, one, one of the big things that made me, and I think many people, gravitate towards your work, Dr. Jones, is the fact that you very, very simply and very comprehensive, comprehensively diagnosed, I think, the, the primary issue that's well, one of the primary issues that's facing the West at the moment, and that is sexual liberation, which is actually a form of bondage, a form of enslavement and a form of, of social control. Can you talk more about the origin of that and, you know, what we can potentially do to fight against it? Yes. Yes. I, I understand your feeling, uh, feeling, uh, feelings of repugnance uh, and disgust uh, because I feel them too. And this, uh, whenever I see some type of drag queen uh, whether he's uh, 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 trying to uh, read story hours to children, no matter what it is, I feel a sense of repugnance. Uh, this is clearly a man pretending to be a woman. There's nothing attractive about this. It's, it's, it's freakish. Uh, and this is good. This is good. Because what we're talking about is the end of a trajectory that began under completely different auspices. Uh, which had a much wider audience, namely men who like to look at pictures of naked women, actually real women, real naked women, which is how this whole thing sort of got started about 60 uh, to 70 years ago, depending on where you want to start it. So if you want to talk about sex education, uh, you have to talk about a man by the name of Alfred Kinsey in the United States of America. Kinsey was um, uh, a, an entomologist. He studied bugs. He studied gall wasps, and he would go around and collect gall wasps. And at some point, he became interested in sexuality and started giving sex ed courses at Indiana University, where he was a professor. At this point, he caught the eye of the Rockefeller Foundation, who then started giving him money to do uh, a so-called scientific study of sexuality. If there was one thing about this study uh, that you could say, it was not scientific in any way, shape or form. 
okay, what came out after uh, the books came out, I'm talking about the Kinsey reports, is that uh, the uh, one of the first things that happens was the um, American Association of Statisticians went through the data and said it's completely bogus. You can't draw conclusions from the data that you have assembled. It's simply not going to work. Years later, and I think I had something to do with this, uh, it came out that Kinsey was a homosexual. So the whole the whole rigmarole here about sex education goes back to two factors. Okay, there's the personal factor, which is basically that Kinsey was a homosexual who was masquerading as a science, who had no competence whatsoever in the area of human sexuality. And secondly, he became famous not because he was uh, smart or anything like that. He became famous because the Rockefellers spent a lot of money promoting him. I, uh, this, the other aspect that we have to add into this is the fact that Alfred Kinsey, after the books came out, which no one ever read, um, he was featured on the cover of Time magazine. And Time magazine set the tone for his uh, for the American understanding of Kinsey simply by the picture on the cover. So there's a guy and there are birds and bees flying around and he's portrayed in that article as basically uh, a Boy Scout, which he was. Uh, but he was a homosexual Boy Scout and he had an agenda. And when you when the, the, the portrayal in Time magazine was, in a sense, uh, the, the what we would call the, the CIA portrayal. Time magazine was the front for the CIA. It was the front for oligarchic ideas at that time. And so all of these factors combined to make Kinsey into a, a, a someone who should be listened to, who had a scientific understanding of, of uh, sexuality. This was not true, okay? Um, he did not have any of those things, but this was the beginning of sex education. In other words, sex education purported to be scientific. It was not, it was no more scientific then Kinsey's studies were scientific. There was an agenda uh, behind it from the very beginning. And the beginning is interesting because uh, I, don't, I cover this in my book, uh, Libido Dominandi. If you go to the Rockefeller archives, which is what I did to do the research on this book, they will produce uh, material, a letter by a man by the name of Wardell Pomeroy. Wardell Pomeroy was uh, Kinsey's assistant probably the first assistant, the most senior of all of his assistants. Uh, he was working at, uh, at a children's center uh, in South Bend, uh, Indiana, where I live uh, at that time. We're talking about 1942. And he had just received a draft notice. In other words, he was going to be brought into the army uh, to fight in Europe. Uh, Kinsey told him to get an exemption. So he wrote to the draft board and he wrote a uh, his explanation of what they were doing and why it was important. And he said in that letter, which I quote in Libido Dominandi, that the research they were doing was important for the control of large numbers of people. So there you have my entire thesis substantiated in one of the seminal documents and one of the seminal figures. So if Kinsey's research is the basis for sex education, sex education is created has been created for the control of large numbers of people now how does this work it works very simply by getting young people addicted 
to sexual vice at an early age. That is the whole point of this. This was reinforced by a man who uh, came into the picture from a completely different direction. I'm talking about Wilhelm Reich, uh, the Jewish uh, psychiatrist, communist, who grew up in the, uh, was in Vienna and a student of Sigmund Freud at the time. He wrote a book called The Psychology of Mass Fascism, which uh, came into existence right around the time that, Ken, uh, that uh, Kinsey was getting involved in sex research, so the mid-1930s. And in that book, he proposed, uh, talked about how masturbation could be used as a weapon against the Catholic Church. He was talking about the situation in Vienna, in particular, uh, where the Jews and the communists were in battle with the Catholics who lived uh, in the countryside, uh, the Catholic Church, over the, the, the basically the soul of the uh, people of Austria. And the soul was, con was determined largely by behavior, how you act. And Reich said at this point, uh, uh, you don't debate uh, the existence of God with a seminarian. You get the seminarian involved in deviant sexual behavior. That's not what he called it, but that's what it was, especially masturbation. And uh, the idea of God evaporates all by itself. So you put these two things together, which is exactly what happened over this course of time with figures like uh, Saul Gordon, uh, another Jewish psychiatrist who was instrumental in the creation of sex education in the United States. I'll just add to that and, point that you've just made. It seems to be that that exact point you've made there, which is that th there's definitely a whenever you have uh, a rise in homosexuality, you have a rise in atheism as well. Right. And so you put all these things together and you have sex education. The purpose of sex education is to, 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 to destroy your connection to the family, yeah. uh, to your parents, which are the, are the normal source of any type of information about sexuality, which is done on an individual basis. There's no curriculum for this. And to put it under government control so that the government can now encourage habits that will lead to a docile population. Uh, which is what we have right now. Uh, we, these people have succeeded beyond their wildest dreams, largely because of technological innovations. So we have a situation now where you have the internet as the vehicle for pornography and a generation, I'm talking about people in their 20s, in their 20s now, who have grown up with uh, internet, uh, pornography accessible on their iPhones. This leads to a kind of docility, to an anomie, uh, to a sense of purposelessness, uh, which is bad uh, uh, for uh, creating productive citizens, but it's good for uh, creating docile consumers. And that's pretty much what Americans have uh, been, uh, are supposed to become. Yes, and something similar, I suppose, with feminism. You know, uh, I, I read an article recently from CNN. I think they were quoting a, a Morgan Stanley report, and they were talking about women, I think it was between the ages of 25 and 44, by 2030, um, I think it's like half of them between those ages uh, will be single in the, in the working world. And then they proceeded to talk about all the industries and sectors of the economy that will benefit from this. Uh, you yes. know, companies that make cars and companies right. make clothes and all sorts of things. Every, uh, everyone just, benefits except the family. And, and indeed, and, and except those women themselves who won't have a family and will die, you know, childless and right. extremely unhappy and alone. And I, I want to point out as well, um, just you, you made a, a point a second ago about 
I suppose it's the, the, yeah, the innocence of children being taken away from them. So I can even recall this. I think it was about 11 or 12 when we had, it was only very new at the time. In, this, in the primary school I was in, they had the first like sex education thing. This was like groundbreaking. You know, this is totally new at the time. And I suppose this would have been in the very early 90s. And they put on this video. And, and actually at the time, uh, parents were there. So the children sat in the front and the parents were actually in the back and they had a community hall and they put this video on and all the kids were laughing. You know, this was very embarrassing for them. And there's actually a reason for that. It's not because they actually probably find it all that amusing. It's because they it's it's just very difficult for them to comprehend. And the the Twitter account that I mentioned makes reference to a rather disgusting uh, sex ed school they have a they're, they're can, uh, canada based and they have a series of videos you may have seen some of this stuff and it's teaching sex ed sex education to kids and in they're standing these, these two ladies are standing in the in the front of the class and they're going to use these dolls and they're going to tell the kids where to put the different body parts on the dolls you can imagine where this is going so questioning lgbt he calls this out he criticizes this and he says sexualizing children with sex education step one remove their natural modesty slash shyness around things relating to sex and genitals today's topic is what's up down there are you talking about genitals yes girl you got to know about your genitals so you can tell from their reaction that the kids are uncomfortable with the conversation. There's one girl, she puts a book in front of her face. They're giggling. Some of them are kind of looking away. They have a natural inbuilt mechanism to actually push against this stuff. And this is the really sinister stuff because it would rob the child of their innocence. These are our children, well, Dr. Wait, Jones. Let's talk, let's talk about this uh, um, uh, in a, from a military fashion. You, you're, you're saying innocence. What is this? Mo modesty is a defense. It's a defense against an unwarranted incursion into these people's uh, uh, souls. That's that's what you're seeing here. It's a natural defense that people throw up whenever they're subjected to some type of untoward sexual advance. Th this happened in uh, a later phase. Same same thing, just a later phase. Uh, there's a, a, pl a play called The Vagina Monologues, which uh, got started in from a lady, a lady in Greenwich Village, in New York City, and then she specifically targeted religious institutions, religious colleges. So I saw the first performance here at St. Mary's College, which is uh, hired me uh, t uh, 40 years ago, and then I got fired because I was against abortion. So we get there, and uh, the, the, this lady walks onto the stage, and she starts telling the girls to, to chant, cunt, 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 okay? And all the girls start chanting this. And I'm thinking, well, what's going on here? What's going on here? What if the nuns knew about this? Well, it turns out the lady was a nun. She was the one who was leading the whole thing. But secondly, what is the purpose of all this? It's to break down your sense of reserve so that you're easier to control. What other explanation is there? Why are you breaking down defenses if you don't want to control people? That's precisely what happens with sex ed. Yes, um, and actually speaking of uh, breaking down defenses, there was also uh, an article that I saw, and it was about Poland. EU condemns Polish law designed to stop sexualization of children by excessive and unnecessary sex and sexuality education. No surprise when this agenda comes from the EU and other globalist bodies. Of course, you're, you're quite aware, uh, Poland being a very Catholic country, and you've done some work in that regard in Poland. Um, in terms of helping to resist the LGBT agenda. 
Um, I, th I feel as though we should perhaps talk a little bit more broadly um, about homosexuality and its normalization. Um, to my lights, it seems like there is one, certainly from having looked at more into your work, it seems that there's one sexuality and that's heterosexuality. And then everything else is simply a deviant behavior, a maladaptive behavior. Right. And it's not to say that uh, every single homosexual uh, is is promiscuous, although an enormous amount of them are. Of course, there will be those who are in monogamous relationships 20 years. I'm aware of that. And I, I suppose we could liken it to, and you have in the past, alcoholism, which is that there are people who are functioning alcoholics. You know, if you if you don't contain your sexuality, it will just run riot. Talk to me a little bit about what happened with Poland and how Poland has. I mean, it's, it's, it's like what Ireland used to be. And I know you've said this with Ron Croft recently as well, which is that uh, Ireland for the global oligarchs really is a trophy country. If they can turn um, what was once once a very conservative, monolithic Catholic country from its very con genuine conservative roots to being this liberal mecca in Europe, and we were kind of like the California of Europe at this stage, uh, they think that they can map that on to anywhere in the West. Right, right. We're talking about, uh, among other things, generational differences. So what struck me about, uh, I was just, I just finished reading John Waters' book, uh, Bring Back the Bad Roads, which is about him being uh, ostracized and driven out of his uh, job as a correspondent for the Irish Times because he was accused of homophobia by a drag queen. Uh, how did this happen? It's like he was in a train wreck and he staggered off and he, he woke up in intensive care and what happened to me? And, and the question is, well, what happened to Ireland? That's the real question. And he goes into that in some detail. Uh, the, the short answer is that Ireland was, as you pointed out, it's, 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 uh, it's in John's book, Ireland was perceived as a trophy country. By whom? Well, by the oligarchs. Uh, first of all, uh, they were lured into Ireland by these politicians who have don't have the interests of the Irish people in mind. They have some type of bottom line money uh, ideology in mind, capitalism, we call it. So they lure all these uh, interna uh, transnational corporations into Ireland, and they by uh, by uh, giving them a, a, a good deal on their taxes, 12.5% uh, tax rate. So they all come over. As soon as they arrive, they take over. That's what they do. That's what they do. And the, the, the people that you brought in to give you jobs are now trying to tell you how to live your life. Now, the problem here is they are bringing a sophisticated form of psychological warfare along with them that nobody recognizes as warfare. They bring NGOs, and the NGOs give certain Irish people money. Well, that's good, isn't it? Well, no, not if the purpose of the Irish people, if, if the Irish people they're giving it to are all sexual deviants who have an, an animus against the Catholic Church and the moral law and are determined to work for the overthrow of the Constitution. No, that's a bad idea. And that's precisely what happened in Ireland. Now, the problem with the Irish people is that they weren't sophisticated enough to understand how psychological warfare works. And in this regard, John is to his father what, I, what my father was to me in some sense. 
John, the transition that John talks about that he underwent, okay, a father who worked, an Irish father who worked as a manual labor, not, I mean, he would deliver mail, but he was proud of his skills as a manual labor, to John who earned his living by pushing a pen. That took place in my father's generation. My grandfather came from Ireland, uh, arrived in Philadelphia in 1900, and was a, ended up being a successful businessman after he worked at the Baldwin locomotive factory, uh, building locomotives. He then started a, uh, a hard, created a hardware store and had a, a hardwood floor business and became very successful in doing that. But he worked with his hands. My father uh, became a budget analyst for the federal government. That was a completely different operation. My father was the first generation that was exposed to this ruthless form of social engineering. And to be, God bless his soul, he didn't have a clue what was happening. And his generation did not have a clue what was happening. I'm talking about the, the World War II generation who were basically socially engineered by going into the army. 13 million men went into the army where they were all brainwashed. And they came out, out of the army, and they were brainwashed again by ethnic cleansing, the Irish driven out of their ethnic neighborhoods, and so on and so forth. And it was up to me, our generation, uh, to protest against this in some inchoate way. This is what the hippie movement was all about. It was a protest against social engineering that nobody understood. And I'm saying, this is precisely what has to happen now in Ireland. You have to catch up to the state of art psychological warfare and how it's being waged now. Now, the, the way it is being waged now is different than the way it was waged against me as a teenager in, in Philadelphia in the 1960s. This is always evolving. As I said before, the, that type of sexual social engineering had a broader base because it was basically naked women that men like to see. Now it's drag queens and everybody feels a sense of revulsion. But at the same time, you have much more sophisticated instruments to impose this on people. And the most sophisticated instruments all have to do with the Internet. And John goes into some detail about how the Internet, through people, agents like Google and NGOs, funded by things like the Atlantic Foundation, how they basically brought a type of warfare onto the Irish people. The Irish people didn't know what hit them. They, they, they completely succumbed to the propaganda. The, the, the propaganda is, well, you have this old Irish woman. She's 90 years old. She has 17 children. She has 27 grandchildren, four great-grandchildren. And she says, I love all my children. Well, God bless you, mother. I know that. And then she says, I want, I want all of my children to be married. Well, that's great, too. But if, if your children are homosexuals, they cannot marry. That was the sophistication. It was aimed at basically a Catholic public, a Catholic public who felt that they should care for people and take care of people, especially the marginalized. And they were manipulated. Yes, and they, were they, they always take advantage. Good. They always try to take advantage of people's better nature, particularly when in, in, you know, in terms of dealing with minority groups or things like that. We just want to make sure that we're inclusive and tolerant and, you know, this kind of idea. And actually, um, you mentioned the various techniques that are used to enforce this social control. And one of them you're probably aware that they're trying to push hate speech laws here in Ireland. 
And that's just simply so that you, you're not allowed to question the, the policies of the ruling regime. But I, I saw an article on gripped.ie, and it was a tongue-in-cheek article written by uh, John McGurk. He was writing sarcastically, but it's actually a real concern. He says, Irish Law Reform Commission looks at making incest legal. It's amazing how one, once we start to normal, one, normalize one or two things before too long, that slippery slope, right? So he says it's buried away in paragraph 13 of Colm Keena's report in the Irish Times today, which doesn't really do this news justice. Another blow for liberty is about to be struck against the repression and cruelty of Catholic Ireland. He says um, the commission will also look at the, this is what it says, at the law on incest, which criminalizes vaginal sexual intercourse between blood relatives, consenting intercourse between an adult brother and sister, even if there is no risk of pregnancy, is a crime. And then it says, one might question if such conduct should be criminal. I don't think we should be questioning it. I think it's a really, really bad idea for a lot of reasons. But the thing is, when you start, it's, it's the same thing with the, the uh, argument of my body, my choice. Well, initially people go, well, as long as it, it's abortion, only up to a few months. I mean, I'm completely against abortion at any level. But they'll say, as long as it's three months, that's fine. I'm like, it, if it's my body, my choice then it's still your body right up until eight and a half months, right? So, it, and of course it will be. Late-term abortion does come in uh, inevitably in these situations. And it's the same with something like this. As soon as you say love is love, where do you stop? There was a story, um, um, news, uh, Irish news, it says major review of sexual offences to examine our high age of consent here. And then also calls for porn literacy to be included in sex education to remove the stigma. Got to remove that stigma. Um, everything becomes permissible, you know, when people lose God and when they, when they lose what you've described as logos and the moral law. Yes, and there's a purpose to this, and the purpose is control. It, it's, it's very simple. And once you explain that to people, they start to wake up. So, so as I said before, there's a, 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 a dynamic, a trajectory going on here within sex education itself to the point where it's becoming more and more bizarre and more and more repugnant to normal people. And that is going to cause a reaction. That is going to cause a reaction. Do you, do you think that, that they've overplayed their hand? Have, pardon me? Sorry, do you think that they've overplayed their hand? Yes, they have. It's clear they have. An example I can give you is what happened in London recently, uh, where the, the Muslims objected to sex education. This is not supposed to happen. The Muslims are supposed to come in and be the opponent of Christians in, in England. And the way we do this is by promoting white nationalism in England. This means you will uh, attack Muslims. Uh, what really happens is that people who have some sense of what the moral law is and do not want their children corrupted have a natural affinity to each other. And they will join up eventually to oppose this type of thing. And this will end up defeating the purpose of sex education uh, and the intention of the of the social engineers. Something similar happened here in, in Indiana. OK, the sex education battle is old news over here. OK, why is it old news? OK, well, first of all, because the big battles happened in the 80s, the 1980s, which is when I my children were small. Now, in the 1980s, when we started getting involved in uh, homeschooling, uh, you could go to jail, okay? That has been rectified. But what sex, what sex education did in the United States was create the reaction, which is the homeschooling movement, 
which is basically people said, oh, no, over my dead body, I'm taking my kid out of school. I'm taking my kid out of any school, and I'm just going to do it at home. There, it was contested for a while, and the, basically the right to educate your own children at home, as you see fit, was sustained by the courts. And now in the state of Indiana, the, the state does not automatically just give money to public schools. They give the money to the parents. And the parents decide where the children are going to school or if they're not going to go to school, they're going to do uh, uh, homeschooling. This was a natural, in a sense, a natural outcome of the logic of sex education, which in a sense creates its opposite. I hate to sound like a Hegelian, but that's exactly what happened here. Okay, it, Hegel called it the cunning of reason. The social engineers brought about the exact opposite of what they intended. That's also going to happen in Ireland. What our job is, is to make it clear to people exactly how it's going to happen and why it's going to happen. Because the fact that sex education is a form of control that is uh, out to uh, destroy your children. Yes, indeed. And one of the very insidious uh, forms of control that I've seen, or at least they're always trying these rather underhanded tactics, uh, there's a chap who's a supporter of mine and he's based in Scotland and he's working with the Scottish Family Party and they're resisting all the L sex ed and LGBT everything. And he was talking about Scotland's implementation of, they want to bring in a, a smacking ban so you're not allowed to smack your children. And of course we know why this is because what they, what they do is they say you can't smack your children but there's like a point of contact or a teacher or some sort of guardian or representation for the kids in school. And if, you're, if your parents smack you, you come and tell us, right? So what's that going to do in the, in the mind of a child at a very impressionable age? Um, and these are, these are really important uh, times in a child's life and their developmental progress. Well, they're going to say, my, my mother and father hit me, and they're going to identify the authority as not being their parents, but being the school or obviously the state, which wants to control, and then they're going to trust, they're going to place, place their trust in the school more than their own parents and thus turn against their parents. And anything the school pushes about, you know, you can be non-binary, gender fluid, you can be homosexual, bisexual, trans, whatever it is, they're going to believe because the school is so nice to them. The school right. is against their parents who can sometimes bring them physical pain. I don't want physical pain. And so people move away from pain towards pleasure. Right. And and uh, and so that's another I mean, I, when I saw that, I was like, this is my my worry, Dr. Jones, is that this is going to breed another generation of not just very ill and broken people because it is child abuse. And like we mentioned before in our previous interview, which was, uh, you know, the, the, the infiltration of the Catholic Church and all of the the terrible things that were done to children. But that was done behind the scenes. Uh, this is actually done out in the open. Right. So our opponents are actually telling us what it is that they're doing. They're showing us what they're doing and they're wrapping it up in fancy language. And yet people are not putting to Well, they're starting to maybe put two and two together. I certainly think that people are repulsed by this. They're disgusted by this. But sharing something on Twitter or Facebook and, and saying, oh, my God, this is horrible. That's enough Internet for one day. You know, it's not it's not enough to be repulsed. We have to actually do something to push back against it. These are our children. These are children. Yeah. They're innocent. And they, you never get that innocence back, right? This, they, they never get that innocence back. You can't go back to being a child again. And, and oh. you know, so uh, this is robbing their childhood from them. And 
I'm, I find it very difficult to put it all into words. I mean, I, I, it's it's tough. It's a tough, tough subject. And I, I just feel like I can't imagine hell being much worse sometimes in the world we live in yes. right now. But uh, there's always the God is always present in human history, and He brings a, He can always bring uh, good out of evil. And I'm saying that sex education in the United States was over it overreached. They overplayed their hand, and they created the homeschooling movement. And the homeschooling movement created a situation in Indiana where suddenly the legislature is now paying, giving money to the parents and not to the schools. That's good that came out of this. The other good thing is that now uh, every single Irishman with a child uh, has a stake in this fight. And every single Irishman with a child can basically be on the front lines of this of this uh, struggle by simply saying, uh-uh, you're not going to do that to my child. Well, they can. However, I, I do understand as well the difficulties that we're in. And this is another component of, of the world that the globalists have created for us, which is it's immensely difficult to uh, have to be able to provide uh, for a household on one income, and oftentimes both parents have to be working. And another component of this psychological warfare is that you know if you just keep the people busy and keep them mired in debt, and uh, you know keep them out in the workforce, keep them in the commute, you know that they come home, they're exhausted. Uh, there isn't time, and there isn't necessarily money for absolutely everybody to homeschool. And I'm that's not. Why I'm not. I'm not arguing specifically for homeschooling okay i am i am that's that's a, a something that came into being because of the situation in the united states of america okay it's a different country i'm saying that when children get involved there's a sudden uh, urgency to this matter and the best example i can give you right now is john waters I mean, John, John Waters, was, if, if anything, if you read his book, he was a, a, a certainly a reluctant conscript into the culture wars. It, it was a kind of a, a mistaken identity in many ways to talk about John Waters as being against gay marriage. He wasn't against gay marriage. What was he against or what was he for? He was for he's, he's a traditional person. He's not deracinated like me. You know, he's a traditional man. He he digs uh, turf in Ireland. You know, he has that feel about him. And what bothered him? The thing that bothered him was blood. He had a uh, a, a child with uh, Sinead O'Connor, uh, and uh, the 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 child welfare establishment was going to deprive him of any say in the raising of that child. And he rebelled against that. That's what he rebelled against. It was blood. It, it, it didn't come down, down to homeschooling. It, it came down to an Irish uh, uh, rebellion against social engineering based on blood. Uh, and he said that uh, this was his objection to, to gay marriage as well. It wasn't so he didn't care one way or the other about whether they got married. In, in many ways, he was he, he had nothing. He, he didn't like the arguments that the Catholic Church was providing here. He felt that they were beside the point. The main thing that bothered him was the fact that people who had no right whatsoever to children were now going to be able to have children, to take them away from their biological parents as, as accessories, as lifestyle accessories based purely on money and the status that they had achieved as a preferred identity group. 
this had nothing to do with the blood relationship between a mother and his uh, a mother and her daughter or father and her daughter father and son and i think that's, that's a very that's what caused the re rebellion in his in his soul that is a very important point in the context of sexuality and what it is uh, which is ultimately about a man and a woman coming together to have a child and obviously there's the bonding the physical and emotional and spiritual bonding through sex that they experience and one of the things there was at the time when the marriage referendum 2015 um there was some resistance you now some school teachers were saying were concerned that the sex edge sex education curriculum is going to change of course it will change they were told at the time oh calm down don't be ridiculous you know slippery slope kind of thing but of course they always keep you know the the, the these people with this LGBT agenda, they always keep a few things in their back pocket. They never give the game away completely. But they, um, they were concerned that sex ed would change because it will no longer be about biological reproduction. It will instead become about sexual lust because you have to, if you want to teach equality, you have to teach heterosexuality, homosexuality relations as well. And obviously homosexuality relations are not to do with having a child. So... If you're to teach both, well, they're completely different. Um, and one has a purpose, and then the other is just sexual lust. And you can't, the other thing is that you can't um, satiate that lust. And this is why homosexuals have so, oftentimes have so many partners, you know, and have a high degree of promiscuity. And that's the other thing. It's like to, to make people, as you've me mentioned, docile sex robots, enslaved to their passions. And to go over that point again, it's the oligarchs are aware that people's passions are infinitely malleable um, and that they are unending and they can't be satiated easily. And it, so this whole idea of liberation is truly enslavement. And I think once people put that together, they'll start to understand it. This is why this upcoming referendum on hate speech is going to be important, because that'll be your last protection. At that point, you can't even talk about what's what's going what's going on. You can't you can't object. Uh, you're just going to have to become completely docile here, completely controlled. That's, but that's I just don't see that as an option. I mean, it's like if they're going to put people in jail for this stuff, well, then so be it. I just don't remaining silent just because Charlie Flanagan brings in hate speech laws. It's not an option. I mean, if, if this is the thing, if if the resistance to Ireland's complete takeover is 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 foiled by, well, sorry, I was afraid I was going to offend someone and I, I carried a jail term for six months or whatever because I I miss I, I, I disagreed with the, the ruling orthodoxy. I mean, uh, we're already screwed from the get go. I mean, we already knew that this parallel legal system of hate speech was going to be implemented at some point. And I just think it's not an option for us to go, well, that's the end of that then. I mean, we, yeah. we, can't, we can't give up on our future. We cannot give up on our children because but, some of them are going to obviously survive this and they're not going to survive it intact. They're going to look back and go, why didn't someone stop me from becoming trans? I didn't know what I was doing. I right. didn't know were, the system was You were was a using. child. Of course you didn't know what you were doing. Children, that's the definition of a child. That's why they need parents to prevent them from Yeah, this. yeah. They, they can't choose their, their bedtime, but apparently they can choose their gender. Right. Now, this is a, uh, a horrendous in intervention into family life whose only purpose is the destruction of the Irish people. The, the rest. So let me let me take a step back here. Uh, is there a possibility to succeed? Yes, there is. And the name of that possibility is Poland. This is the Catholic country that did not succumb. 
I was there for the uh, uh, did a book tour for the Polish uh, edition of Libido Dominandi. Uh, there, there were calls to the publisher as we were heading to the verse venue. Cancel the trip. Cancel the tour. Jones is an anti-Semite. This gives you some indication of who was orchestrating this. Okay, uh, the church did not back down. The church supported me, and between my idea and the Polish bishops. Uh, organization, the Catholic Church, we defeated gay marriage in Poland. It's that simple. Now, is, does that mean that everything's great now? No. Guess what happened? Guess what happened? Who is the author of hate speech? Who is it? What group has invented this term? It's called the Anti-Defamation League. It's a Jewish organization in the United States of America in New York City. Don't take my word for it. Look at their website. They brag about how they created the term uh, hate speech. So Poland then gets uppity. Okay, Catholic Poland gets uppity. They stop gay marriage. And guess what happens? The ADL goes to Poland now. This just happened yesterday. The head of the ADL holds a press conference and he announces Poland is the most anti-Semitic country in the world. Well, wait a minute. I, th I think... I think we're starting to put two and two together here. In other words, if we don't do what you like, if we if we don't go along with the agenda of the oligarchs, some uh, some representative of the ADL is going to show up and call the entire country anti-Semitic, not just one person, the entire country. Well, let's think this thing through. Is this going to make the polls happy? What is what is the net result of this going to be? It will be a spike in anti-Semitism, even though it's not that. This will mean that the, 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 the ADL has brought about the exact opposite of what they intended. They have strengthened the resistance of the Polish people. All we have to do is make these connections in the minds of the Irish people, and that's it. It's over. It's over. The handicap we have now is the fact that the entire established media establishment is controlled by people who are controlled by the oligarchs who want a certain outcome in Ireland. What we're seeing now uh, with the, pre the, the uh, introduction of hate speech legislation is that that is not working anymore. If that control were as total as we think it is, they would not need to propose hate speech legislation. Yeah. The very fact that they're proposing it both uh, on the Internet uh, in the United States and over there is a sign that it's all breaking down. And the fact that what we're doing, uh, which seems to be like this minimal operation, fringe operation, is now getting purchased on the mainstream mind in in the United States and in Ireland. And I think it's worth mentioning that perhaps we'll we'll conclude on this point, which is the Groifer movement. And you were mentioned um at that uh, several times, I believe, in the the questions and answers session with uh, Turning Point USA's Charlie Kirk. And that seemed to, to, again, bring this into the mainstream more and more because people will obviously look at that and go, who the hell are they talking about? E. Michael Jones, and they look up your work, they look at your, look at your books. Uh, the conservative movement as well, I mean, I, I, can, I can see some parallels with what, what's happening at different stages and different rates and slightly different conversations between Europe and America. Right now, it seems to be uh, the faux conservatism 
which is the, these people who are effectively pushing the liberal agenda from like right. 10 years ago. Well, and if, if, I, if, if, if someone shows up in Ireland saying, I, I have something to sell you, it's called conservatism, <laughs> tell them to get on the next plane and fly back to the United States of America. They don't need that. That was a phony operation. And what you saw with the Charlie Kirk turning point operation yeah. is that the very demographic that he was supposed to control, namely 18 to 24 year olds, woke up to the fact that he's not working for them. He's working for their enemies. He is a, he is a creation of the big uh, tax exempt foundations like the Koch brothers. It, yeah, so Donald Trump Jr. shows up at uh, a Teep Turning Point USA uh, gathering at UCLA in California. And the first thing that Charlie Kirk announces that there's no question and answer this is after the debacle in Ohio where uh, Dave Riley asked how anal sex is going to promote the culture wars. So everybody starts booing and Donald Trump Jr. doesn't even know what's happening. He thinks it's left wing people. They're all wearing MAGA hats. And what they're saying is you're betraying conservatism. Yeah. We're more conservative th th than you are. So what you saw here was basically turning point blew up largely because of the consciousness of the people it was supposed to control. That's the movement of Logos in history. That's what we're, that's the same thing can happen in Ireland. It can happen like that. How long does it take you to change your mind? How long does it take you to say, hey, sexual liberation is a form of control? I realize now what you're talking about. How long does that take? It can happen like that. It can happen to an entire country like that because the idea is what is powerful. Logos is what is powerful, not all these people with all their money and their phony operations. Yeah, indeed. And, and actually, in Ireland, it has become a little bit easier to talk about this stuff, at least for, for now. Um, I was at a an anti-hate speech rally on a Saturday before, and it was attended by quite a few hundred people. And a year before, you wouldn't have got hardly anyone. Maybe 20 people might have showed up, 20 hardcores. But now, people of all ages are waking up to this and when leo varadkar tweeted something about you know diversity uh, is is great for the economy and so forth and all this kind of stuff and this multicultural platitudes uh he was just absolutely destroyed in 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 the comments of the of that tweet underneath that tweet and i don't think we would have had that reception a year year and a half ago so there is a slow slowly 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 uh, we have that expression patty last here in ireland Irish people are beginning to arouse from their, they're beginning to arise from their slumber. Uh, but as to, as to, as to whether we're going to be successful in turning all those minds around, you gotta understand. Like the, it's it's become an incredibly left wing country, and I think some of that is it's this, like this, this left wing, this left wing, right wing stuff is completely irrelevant. These are stooges of the oligarchs. Every single homosexual is a proxy warrior, at least a potential proxy warrior for the oligarchs. Mm. It's oligarchs and homosexuals. That's warfare in our age. It has nothing to do with left and right. The thing that blew up Turning Point in the United States was the fact that Charlie Kirk brought a black homosexual onto the stage with him and announced to everyone that to be on board to call yourself a conservative, you have to accept homosexuality. And suddenly everybody's saying, well, who said that? That he, he blew it up himself. It happened like that spontaneously. That's what's going on. The same thing is going to happen in Ireland.
because logos is the driving force of human history. That's that's what that's what we have. That's why we're going to win. Um, well, I, I certainly hope you're right. I don't always share the same optimism, but I will continue to fight on for as long as I possibly can. Um, Dr. Jones, before we conclude, is there anything, I know you've got a new book coming out. Is there anything else that you'd want to, uh, make people aware of that you're currently working on? Yes. Go to culturewars.com and buy one of the books I have mentioned and read that book. You can't get anywhere unless you start reading and inform yourself about how this happened and how it works. The same thing is true for the Logos book. We're, ready it, we're getting ready to send it to the printer. You can order an advanced copy uh, if you go to culturewars.com and go to that uh, uh, sign-up site. Uh, we need to establish secure channels of communication because YouTube can ban us like that. Overnight, we can. Yes, in fact, I had a video removed. It has subsequently been reinstated, but I had a video removed that I'd made two years ago. Earlier this week, it was removed. Uh, and it was actually called If You Tolerate This, and it was talking about uh, this very subject, which is the indoctrination of kids and pushing uh, transgenderism on children at a young age. That video was removed um, and subsequently reinstated. I mean, I don't know what YouTube is thinking by taking this kind of, I mean, I was lucky that it was reinstated. A lot of instances, videos are not reinstated of that subject matter. I don't know what it is that they think that that communicates. It's just interesting, you know, it's just interesting where their heads are at. Yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely. Dr. Jones, thanks so much for being on. My pleasure. Take care.